Hey everyone, welcome to the Between the Bytes podcast. We're bringing together everything business leaders need to know about IT and technology, from cybersecurity to networking, disaster recovery in the cloud, and beyond. We're running webinars, guest podcasts, live videos, and more, and we're bringing it here together in audio format in this podcast feed. Thanks for joining us, and now on to the episode. With me today, I have returning Ben Reese, training manager. Thank you. Hello. I've also got Sierra Anderson, content writer. Hello. And Gavin Spencer, account executive. Hello. (laughs) Welcome, everyone. Today, we wanted to talk a little bit about phishing, not the kind in the water, the technology kind, the bad kind. Like the pH kind. The pH fishing. That's right. Um, I know a lot of business leaders worry about it. We hear a lot about it in uh, in the news. We hear a lot about it when we talk with prospects. Maybe Gavin can talk a little bit more about what he's seen out in the field and you too, Ben. But I guess we could start with just like the 101 to the group. What is fishing and how does it work? Ben, we'll start with you. So fishing pretty much a way for the bad guys, hackers, whatever, to get information from end users. So back in the day, they, you know, when they try to get into a system, they would try to brute force your firewall, right? They try to knock down the front door. Well, they've gotten smarter and they've realized we won't knock down the back door. We'll just let, you know, Jim in accounting led us through the back door. <clears throat> so, uh, phishing is pretty much a way for them to either get into your systems or to get monetary value out of you somehow, right? Getting passwords, logins, getting account information, or, you know, launching a ransomware attack and holding your stuff hostage. Uh, and you may not know this, but like, how long has this been a thing? This start happening, you know, right after the internet, or did it take some time to develop and it's only come about in the past decade? I mean, I would think it's it has been more recent, I would say. I don't know like the exact date um, or year, but it's been more prevalent probably since 2014, 2015, I would say. That's when it's ramped up, when you say yeah. Yeah, about then. Yeah, Gavin, you've, you've been in the industry a while now, uh, kind of out on the front lines with, uh, with clients. What have you seen in terms of like the rise of phishing as a concern or as a problem? So definitely in the last few years, I've seen a major rise in it, uh, just talking to clients. Um, one of the main things that they're seeing is uh, when the phishing is, it, they can see emails come in that look like they're exactly from either the CEO or the CFO, and they have a link saying, hey, please click here. I have some information that I want to pass along. Um, and then they do that. The The customers do that. And then it takes them to a link where it locks down their system or whatever. So, And, and I think the customers want to be more um, trained on that, and they want their employees to be trained on it because – you send out a phishing email. You're if 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 you're you know if the employee clicks on it, they're going to get ransomware or whatever. I don't think there's a way to stop that, is there, Ben? I mean, I don't know whether or not how good your security is. If they do click that link, 
I mean, I guess they can lock it out, or I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how that I mean, works. It, it just depends on it. Depends on the attack. It depends on the vector, right? So, um, let me let me ask you just for the non-technical people in the room, mm -hmm. what is a vector? So, a vector is how that attack happens, right? So, there's a couple uh, ways to fish. There's spear fishing, and then there's mass fishing. So, mass fishing is where the bad guys just blast thousands of emails with a really uh, redundant uh, generic email, hoping that somebody will click on something and they get it. So they get an email from they get an email from like a yeah, like LinkedIn play page right. or whatever Amazon, and then they mm -hmm. blast that towards. Mm -hmm. Okay. Or spear phishing is where they specifically will send it to someone in the organization. So a lot of the times they will go to an organization's website. On the website, it'll have about us, and it'll show all the C-level uh, execs, right? So they know who exactly to send it to. They get emails. Then they'll spoof it and send a email to somebody in accounting from the CFO saying, I need you to wire X amount of money to this account. And so, so it's very specific to that person. Would you say spear phishing is more targeted towards businesses where mass phishing can be businesses and just individual user. Like I know yeah. I've gotten emails from like, it looks like it's from Netflix. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, secure your password. Right. And then you do a little bit of digging and you're like, this isn't actually Netflix. Yeah. You dig down further and see that it's from Netflix underscore something user. Mm -hmm. at, yeah. 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 It's definitely spear phishing is more uh, business focused than, than mass phishing. Yeah, so I've seen a lot of companies or talked to a lot of companies that are really concerned with that. And actually, I've talked to a couple of companies that they've actually wired money according to that and then later found out, oh, I wasn't supposed to do that. So how do they get around that? How is there software that they can get around that, that they don't? There's nothing like that. That they can't. Um, so if it's, if it's ransomware, so ransomware is a little bit different in... It's kind of spear phishing, but they don't request money. They will just send you some uh, PDF or a Word document or whatever that has that's loaded with the ransomware. So when you click on it, it launches. Um, Sophos will block ransomware, but like uh, request to transfer money that is a hundred percent human involvement, right? Like that that you you then have to create processes on the back end to say, okay, if we ever get a wire transfer request, I want the CFO to call me or whatever, right, to make sure that you talk to a human to know that that's an actual thing. Right. And I think that when I, well, when I do talk to customers, I do tell them that employee training is the utmost important when it comes to phishing emails, because no matter how good the software you have is, like you said, if the, you know, if they do click on that link, it could be trouble. So, let, let, let's talk a little bit more and just briefly on on maybe the software, the hardware component uh, of security. And again, as you mentioned, there's only so much you can do. What I remember we we've, we've talked about in other places about uh, the example of geo filtering emails. Uh, tell us a little bit about why you would do that, and maybe some of those other tactics that can mitigate bad emails. Yeah. So, if you geo filter emails. Um, that pretty much is locking down where the IP originates from, 
from whatever device is sending that email out, right? So if it's usually if it's targeted, it's going to come from you know Eastern Bloc countries or Russia or China somewhere there. So if you limit it to okay, I only want emails to come from the United States, and if you have countries outside the United States you do, do business with, you include those. Then it helps keep some of that out. Um, another one you can do is if you you can create a rule in Exchange or your app, uh, not app filter, but your um, spam filter, where if an email is originated uh, with your domain from outside your email server, it'll block because that's another thing they'll do. Because um, you could make, and I don't know if this gets too technical, I don't want to dive too into the weeds, but yeah. an email sender can make their email look like anything. Yeah, they can spoof it and have it look like it. So even even like the fake, uh, you know, Netflix spelled with a one instead of an I or whatever, you know, that's that. But I can still make my email look like it's mm -hmm. from Netflix.com. Yeah, you can change the it's the header information, but you can change the header information to have it say Netflix, even though it's coming from a different email address. So, but in those cases where you could you know, list your own domain that right. it's trying to, you know, imitate your company right. name. If it comes outside of your email server, block it, then that will help mitigate that as well. So is there a difference between spam and an actual phishing email? There can be. I mean, spam can just be just generic stuff, right? Um, but most of the spam probably has some sort of malicious intent behind. I just never click on them, so. Right. But that actually goes to your spam filter. Right. It goes and how does a phishing filter. email actually get into your inbox? Because it, it looks like a real Because look, it looks like crap. Because the spam filter will go and check, okay, does this look weird? Does this look like, check certain things in, in the header information. And if it passes that stuff, it'll be like, okay, yeah, it's a legit email. And then right. pass it through. Yeah, and I see that all the time with, with customers. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's their number one concern is you know having an employee click on something like that so and i guess that's the thing with phishing right is because it's they've gotten so good at it you used to be able to kind of pretty easily mm -hmm. spot what was you know a malicious email but now it can look exactly like an actual email yeah and you'll go to elaborate lengths to create a website that looks exactly like the login page for your bank or for Amazon or whatever. They just rip the logo off. Everything looks great, you know. But. Yeah, and how many times have we gotten an email? And even though we think that it's fake, we're like, uh, is this? Uh, we question it ourselves. So, um, Sierra, we, we recently had a blog about phishing uh, as it relates to the corona situation. Tell us a little bit about what you found in that article and what it talks about. Yes, yeah, so a lot of hackers have taken advantage of the coronavirus pandemic in the fact that they're sending, one of the biggest ones is they're sending emails that look like they're coming from the CDC or the World Health Organization, and they're either asking for donations, you know, click on this link and donate to the relief fund, or they have a link that's here are some guidelines of how to keep yourself safe. Click on this link to read the guidelines. But really, it's, yeah, it's one of those fake phishing emails. So it's even those, it looks like it's coming from an authoritative place. You still really have to 
do some digging and ideally just not click on links, right? If you think if you think it's suspicious or even if you don't, just go type it in instead of click on it. So I also want to talk just briefly about uh, kind of some of the things that Gavin's alluded to on the human side. Uh, as we've talked about in many other places, at the end of the day, the human factor is the most vulnerable when it comes to a business's overall cybersecurity. And more, you know, I think phishing is the most extreme of that instance, where it's humans that are going to be the problem. Uh, we love humans, but you know. So what are some things an individual can start doing to protect themselves, but that also a business can start doing to protect the organization? I'll pass it to Ben and maybe Gavin can touch on too. One thing that I that I tell all businesses is check your check the sources on this. If you have any question whether or not that's coming from, I mean, if they're asking you to transfer money, check with your CFO and say, hey, did you send this email? Was this from you? Or if you have any question about anything coming into your organization, just don't click the link. I mean, do your research on it and make sure the link that you are clicking is going to lead to something that it, they actually want you to click on. So. Yeah, and I think the, the biggest thing for businesses or organizations is just to train your employees. Um, so Executech, we can do email campaigns, phishing campaigns through Sophos, where we will set up a, uh, a phish attempt, send it out to an organization. It will track who, clicked, who opened the email, who clicked on the link, who put in their credentials to see how far people will go. Uh, then we can offer to come in, do a phishing training, train the individuals on what to look for, what the difference is, uh, and then we run that campaign again and see the difference in in retention. But that's that's a huge thing for businesses because that's the big that's the biggest thing is teaching uh, the employees on what to look for and what not to click and to be able just to be aware. So an interesting fact is most phishing attempts happen like at 9, 10 in the morning and at 1 p.m. I mean, just from a marketing standpoint, those are typically the better times to send an email, so that doesn't surprise yeah. me. Because people are either starting their day, yeah. getting back from lunch, they're not paying attention, they're just going through their emails and they click on that one and bam. You know, you may not have this off the top of your head, but but what are the typical results uh, from a training? Like, What kind of improvement do you see? I mean, I would have to look, but it's it's usually, I would say at least twenty five to thirty percent. I mean, a lot of it depends on how well people are listening to the training as well, right? But um, there definitely is a difference. How often do you recommend like doing a training like that? Because I know it's not just like you do it once and then you yeah, know, you're good. Uh, at least annually is a good is a good time to do it. You can you can do it uh, like every six months if you wanted to, but usually annual is a good good enough time. Stuff doesn't change inside of that most of the time. Do we know what the most popular phishing emails are out there? Uh, Amazon, Apple. I think most, Gary said it best too. If it's, you do see something come in from them, like do not click that link, go to their actual website right. and, and log enter in. your information. Because yes. if you log in, if you go to the website, log in, if there's an issue with your account, it will tell you yeah. in your account. Right. So a lot of it's just the everyday stuff people use, right? So that's another tip is 
Like if you get a Netflix email from your work email, but you've never signed in with your work email, that might be an issue, right? So like pay attention to what the sources come in, if you're using your, which email you're using that for, because that's a good, a good sign. I mean, I'll be honest, I got an email from Amazon saying, hey, three months of uh, Music Unlimited log in here. I'm like, oh, hey, cool, you know? So I went and started, I was like, wait, hold on a second. I need to check this. And then I checked the, the, the recipients or the where they sent it from. I'm like, hold on, this is wrong. So yeah. it's happened to me. There's been times. a couple times where I've had to double check because at first I look at it and go, oh, yeah. And then I'm like, oh, wait, hold on a sec. And then, yeah, you dig into it more. Uh, do we have any idea how, um, as a financial loss for people with phishing emails that every year? Or... I mean, I know we we used to tell and talk about a client that, that did, like, a, I don't know if it was a $200,000 wire or, yeah. or some obscene amount of money because it was through a phishing attempt. At I, I personally had a client uh, that got a... a spear attempt right like they asked for money to be wired and they asked for 65 grand and the only reason why it didn't go through is because they didn't have enough money in that account but they but they had requested and like the cfo totally bid on it thinking it was from the owner and he he had tried to send it by the time i got there it can happen in a lot smaller amounts too right because i know my last company someone had spoofed our ceo's email and was asking one of my coworkers. It was like five $25 gift cards. And they were right. like, will you just go out and buy me these gift cards? We're doing like a award for mm-hmm. some of our clients. And he almost did it. But then he texted our CEO and was like, what kind of gift cards do you want? And the CEO was like, uh, what are you about? yeah. Yeah, that's the other thing, too, is that they will go for like gift cards, right? Because mm-hmm. it's untraceable. So they'll ask for iTunes gift cards. and Hey, buy these gift cards and then send me the codes sort of thing. Is there anything that can happen by just opening a phishing email, or is it always only by just clicking? Um, you mean actually clicking the link? That's yeah, in the phishing email. clicking the Usually link. Usually, it's it. not uh, the like the payload is what they call it is not in when you just open the email, right? Like if you click on it, if you like if you're an Outlook and you preview it, that's the safest thing, right? It technically doesn't open it. Um, but usually it it's not in the body of the email. It's either in an attachment or if you click on the link and then the payload will get dropped. So um, we hit on this in our previous episode, but I do want to just touch on it again because I think it is relevant to this conversation since we also talked a little bit about phishing last time. But turning on multi-factor authentication can probably prevent a lot of these problems. Then a lot of it, yeah. I mean, you, it's still like that human factor that if they're asking for a transfer and you just blindly right. believe it, believe it, then you'll just go for it. But if it's asking for a login and you have two factor turned on, that fake site won't send a text. Right, it won't send a text because they don't. Have and and you'll never get in. Right. Although they could get your email. they could get your login by you trying to press login, then they have your password. But they won't be able to ever get that that text code. Right. And you have to be careful about how uh, MFA comes across too, right? So like say somebody, if somebody's actually on your machine um, and they're trying to get in, right, and you you have MFA turned on, 
a per perfect example is a Mac, right? So because a Mac has iMessage or whatever built into it. Yep. So you can get your text. So if you have your MFA going to text and you have your uh, MacBook open, they can get their your MFA code right then and there. So you have to be careful about where it goes and how uh, how you have that control. So in, in case something like that happens, you just didn't leave the door wide open. And I think also talking to clients, the two-factor, it's just another step. It's just another annoyance to do that. I mean, and so I think that's where they need to be trained on it. Hey, it is, you know, it's highly important to do that. But it's another step, and people don't want to do that. So Yeah. Uh, MFA has gotten better, though, where you can either get, like, uh, Google Authenticator or Microsoft Authenticator, where it's easier to do, right? Like, like my Microsoft account, when it gets logged in, it just sends it to my phone. Do you approve this? Yes, and then it just hit it, right? So you don't have to remember codes or look up a code and type it in, so it has gotten better. Gotten yeah, no, my Google account is set up the same way. It doesn't do text, I just have to unlock my phone mm -hmm. and press the yes. Yeah. Yeah, the authenticator is, is much better. Yeah. Hey, that's it for this week's episode. Thanks for listening. If you're curious about other phishing attempts uh, and hacks that are out there, or if you're wanting to learn more about social engineering and running phishing scans and tests on your team, uh, please reach out to us at executech.com. Thanks.